Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, verse 11, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. He took all the best, but he left the poor of the land to keep the land. Every creature is unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. You are amazing, God. All powerful, untamable, awestruck with. Welcome, everyone, and thank you for joining us. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher, Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city. This was the third major wave of captivity, taking the remaining people all except for the poor of the land. As the remaining people were taken captive, so too was the remaining valuables from the temple. Jerusalem was left desolate, completely plundered under the judgment of God. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he concludes our study in the book of 2 Kings. After God tells him exactly how long it's going to be. After 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place, meaning to Jerusalem. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And that's something we need to do. As Americans right now, we need to seek the Lord with all of our heart. Amen? Even though we are in America, I fear that we're already captive. Pray for this country. I will be found of you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I've driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you to this place from which I caused you to be carried away captive. Is God going to do this? Yes, he does. He's going to do it. After 70 years are accomplished, Cyrus is going to come on the scene, and he's going to let the people go. Any of them that want to go, he'll even give them money to help them out to build their temple. And then Artaxerxes. They're going to help these pagan kings. Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, therefore thus says the Lord concerning the kings who sit on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in the city, concerning your brethren who have not gone up with you into captivity, thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will send on them the sword, the famine, the pestilence, and will make them like rotten figs that cannot be eaten, they are so bad. 
And I will pursue them with the sword, with the famine, with the pestilence. I will deliver them into trouble among all the nations, to be a curse, an astonishment, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I've driven them. Isn't that exactly what has happened to the Jews? They've been dispersed from Israel, you know, from the moment they were, uh, you know, from the moment of 70 AD, they were dispersed throughout all of the world. And then in 1948, he began to bring them all back. They became a nation again. Unheard of. May 14th, 1948, Israel becomes a nation after you know, a couple thousand years. But see, God always punishes rebellion and disobedience. But he rewards. I'm sorry, he always punishes rebellion and disobedience, but he rewards obedience. And Maybe you're going through a chastening, just like Israel had gone through a chastening. Maybe you're going through something right now that you don't like. God has put his finger on something in your life, and maybe he's exposed you for a little while, or maybe he's, he's done something to make you aware of it, and it's really crushing your heart, and he's really dealing with you. He's taking you to the mat with whatever it is. I want to encourage you to surrender. Surrender to what he's going to do. Don't fight him. Just like God told the Israelites, surrender and it will go well with you. When God is putting his finger on something in us, surrender quickly. Don't fight him about it. Don't argue with him. Oh, that's really not my problem, Lord. That's so-and-so's problem. That's not really me. Just surrender and do what he says. You will be the better for it. And you will get through that trial quicker than if you resist him and resist him. Have you gone through kindergarten twice? Most of you in the room haven't. But I have. Check this out. In kindergarten, I used to run out when the teacher turned her back. And I did it so, I was such a rotten little scoundrel that they finally had to hold me back another year. And I had to go through it again because I wasn't mature enough for kindergarten. It's okay to laugh. I'm laughing at myself. But surrender Surrender, surrender, surrender. We sing the song, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender all. Are we really surrendering? Now, surrendering all is a big theological conundrum. But are you surrendering anything? Are you surrendering? God wants you to surrender. And don't... Don't fear the chastening of the Lord. As he chased Israel, he's going to chasten us at times too. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Have you not forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons? And here he's quoting from the Old Testament, the author of Hebrews. He says, My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, listen to this, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Because he loves you. If your parents didn't love you, they'd say, hey, have fun out in 490 in the middle of rush hour. Here's your big wheel and here's a lollipop. Go out and have fun. See you at dinner time. Well, your kid's not coming home that night. Why? Because you're sane and you love. And therefore, you say, you cannot go out in the 490 traffic at 5 p.m. God loves you too. And he knows what we need. If you endure chastening, and chastening always has with it this idea of of instruction. 
See, the devil wants to just destroy you. He just wants to pummel you. He wants to destroy you. But God says, no, I don't want to destroy you. I want to get the point across. And only enough pressure to where you yell, uncle. And when you do, I will restore you. That is what chastening is. It's instruction to repentance, to wholeness, to godliness. That's what we need. That's what I need. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are literally bastards. You are illegitimate and are not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who have corrected us. Anybody can say amen to that? Yes, I had a mother who chased after me with a skinny belt, and I deserved every bit of it. We've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Much we, must we not surrender to him? And he really is a good, good father. My mother, my father, they, they love them, but they're not perfect. God knows just the right amount of pressure. Do you know that? He knows just what it takes to get you to give. And why? It's because he loves you. He doesn't want to destroy you. It was his heart for Israel and Judah this whole time. I don't want to do these things to you, but I'm telling you in advance that when they happen, you're going to realize that I am God and there is no other. I'm going to tell you the end from the beginning. I'm going to tell you things before they occur. And when they do occur, your jaw is going to hit the ground and you're going to draw all kinds of flies and maybe even a few hummingbirds. Your mouth is going to be wide, so open, you know, open so wide. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he, God, for our profit, that we might be partakers of what? His holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, and this is true, I've known this in my own heart, and I own this scripture, and I know you do too. Afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Did you hear that? It's because of that, it's training me, and it's a peaceable thing. When I finally get it and I obey it, it's very peaceable. I love it. Notice, and then in the fifth month, back in our text, in the fifth month and on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he burned the house of the Lord and the king's house and all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great. In other words, the high and the mighty, the king's uh, counselors, the people who are rich. He burned them with fire. And all the army, the Chaldeans who were with the captain of the guard, broke down the walls of Jerusalem all around. I remember being in Jerusalem a few, uh, was back in, uh, I think it was 20, 2011, I think. And, and in Jerusalem, there's this place called Burnt House. I don't know how many, how many of you have gone and, and visited it, but it's basically a place. And after the Six-Day War in Jerusalem, they were excavating and they found the ruins of something. And they began to look around and, and they discovered that they had found the house of a Levite during the 70-year 
And in 70 AD, when the Romans came and burnt everything to the ground, and there was a Levite's house, and they know this because he had implements that were Levitical in his house, and his whole family died. And they found bones, and they found other things in it. It's called burnt house. And they just came upon it. It's amazing. You can be digging anywhere in Jerusalem and find all kinds of stuff. It's really crazy. But this goes back even further to 586 B.C. Then Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, verse 11, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. But the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. He took all the best, but he left the poor of the land to keep the land. And that was good for Nebuchadnezzar, too, because when, if they, whatever they wanted to do with the land, they came back and it was well tended to some extent. He didn't just leave it fallow and let the, you know, everything go to a pot. He, he wanted people there to tend the land. And then the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans, they broke them in pieces because they were so big. And, and when they broke them so that they could break them into little pieces where they could carry them back to Babylon, they also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils, which were the, which with the priests ministered with, the fire pans, the basins, the things of solid gold and solid silver, the captain of the guard took away, the two pillars, one sea, and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits, and the capital on it was of bronze. The height of the capital was three cubits, and the network and the pomegranates all around the capital were all bronze. And, and the second pillar was the same with the network. And these are things that Solomon had, had made back when he uh, built the temple, remember? These are the dimensions. These are exactly the same things. And the captain of the guard took Saraiah, the chief priest, Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city. And so Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, he took these and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Remember, Riblah is up in the north part in modern-day Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, in that area. That's where they had their headquarters, right along the Orontes River, which would go up and meet with the Euphrates River. And then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath, and thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. And so now that they are taken captive, what does uh, the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar do? He puts somebody in power for the poor who were there to tend the land. Just a few people. And so then the, he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikim, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Now all the captains of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor. They came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. Remember, Mizpah used to be the capital of Israel before, um, uh, before Samaria was. So there he is in Mizpah. And then Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, the son of Kareah, Saraiah, the son of Tanhumeth, the Netophathite, and Jeazaniah, the son of, the son of a Maacathite, they and their men. 
And Gedaliah took an oath before them and their men and said to them, notice what Gedaliah said. Now, Gedaliah was a gentleman who was confederate and had a a heart with Jeremiah the prophet. Because Jeremiah, remember, was the one who told them, surrender and you will live. Thus says the Lord, surrender and you will live. So Gedaliah, being a friend of Jeremiah, he's like, All right, we're surrendering. We're going to do exactly what he says, and we're going to live like God had told us. So that sounds pretty good to me. So Gedaliah took an oath before these men and said to them, Don't be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans, meaning the Babylonians. Dwell in the land, serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. But it happened in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishma, of the royal family, He came with ten men and struck and killed Gedaliah, the Jews as well as the Chaldeans who were with him at Mizpah. So they saw Gedaliah as a traitor. How could you tell us to surrender to the enemy? We are patriots. Does that ring a bell with any of you? I wonder if there's a lesson here. (laughs) It's a lesson I don't like, to be honest with you. And the people... All the people, small and the great, and the captains of the armies arose and they went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. So they killed Gedaliah, whom Nebuchadnezzar put in power, and a bunch of other people, and then they flee to Egypt. But then God tells them later on, we don't have time to go there. He says, I'm going to find you in Egypt. You can go to Egypt all you want. I'm going to find you there, and you're going to be, you're going, you're, it's not going to be well for you. And God follows through on his promise. Jeremiah actually gets taken with them to to Egypt. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin. Remember, he was the son of Jehoiachim. Jehoiakim, I'm sorry. So Jehoiachin was the son of Jehoiakim. And it came to pass, and remember, he was taken captive earlier. But it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah, in the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, king of Babylon, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. Now, evil Merodach, if you think of it, when Nebuchadnezzar, he, uh, after his reign, his son, evil Merodach, became king. Okay, so that's who we're talking about is his son. And he reigned from 562 to 560 B.C., just two years. And then, and notice, this, this man, well, you think of a name like Evil Merodach, you'd think that he would have kept Jehoiachin in prison and maybe taken away his food with a name like that. But what does he do? He spoke kindly to Jehoiachin. And he gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So there was something about this man that he really liked. And he had this friendship with him. Something was happening, and he didn't see him as an enemy anymore. And he, he, he started to notice what happened. So Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. What a mystery that is. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king, a portion for each day. Notice all the days of his life. Isn't that amazing? Nebuchadnezzar's son, evil Merodach. Yes, that was his name. Actually, his name was Amel Marduk, but he was also called evil Merodach. And he's the one who showed compassion on Jehoiachin. And just like Jonathan, remember, 
Saul's son. David brought Jonathan, who was wounded in his feet. He brought him and he set him at the table of King David and he ate at the table of King David all of his life. Same kind of thing here. Evil Merodach, king of Babylon, takes Jehoiachin, this king of Jerusalem, who had been in captivity. He takes him out of his prison, gives him a nice new suit, sets him down and says, I'm going to give you a provision and you can eat with me every night. What a blessing. Isn't God good? It reminds me of the verse in Proverbs that says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. And I just love that. But I think of surrender. Will you surrender tonight? Whatever the Lord is wrestling with you about, do you find you have that spirit of fighting? Will you surrender? Make it easy work for God because you're the only one who's going to have it tough if you fight him. If you wrestle with God, just like Jacob, you know, it's not going to go well. If God really wanted to win, he could have won. But he wants the best for you and I, and that's his love. And he always tells us the sweet things. Yes, I'm going to chase you. Yes, you're going to go through difficulties, but... At the end of that, ah, remember the book of Job? All the things that Job went through? Job didn't even know. I mean, it wasn't itemized before him. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and do this, and then you're really going to be upset. And then I'm going to do it. And then on top of all that, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to allow this to happen. And Job's like, <laughs> Lord, you know. And he didn't know. And he went through all of that. And Job, at the end of his life, says, you know, I've heard with you, I've heard of you, Now I see you. I have a depth of understanding of your character because I've gone through suffering and my suffering wasn't in vain. You taught me some powerful lessons that I'll never forget and I will never forget them. And I will be able to comfort others with the comfort you have comforted me with, Lord. And he surrendered. Finally, he surrendered and God gave him double what he had before. And he was a real man. He's not some fictional character. Jesus spoke of Job as a real man. There was no allegory. There was no parable. It was a real man. And you're real to him. And he loves you and I. Isn't it good to be loved by the king? Let's stand and pray. Lord, we thank you for this book. Lord, it's been quite a journey And we've learned a lot. I know I have. And Lord, I pray that I would continue learning these lessons, and and, and they're, they're hard lessons. I pray that our country, the United States of America, learns lessons. Every American should be hearing what I'm sharing tonight. Every American should be hearing these things. For if they did, maybe, just maybe, Lord, they would turn from their wicked ways. Maybe we, the church, would turn from our wicked ways, from our compromise. Lord, would you do that work in us tonight and tomorrow and the weeks following, the months ahead, the years ahead? Lord, we need you, Jesus. Without you, we are nothing. We are completely base without you, Jesus, and we're lost. So thank you for saving us, Lord. I pray that, Lord, nobody here would have any condemnation whatsoever. Conviction, yes, including myself. 
but no condemnation. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a good night. This concludes our study in the book of 2 Kings. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob begins a study in the Gospel of Matthew. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office you can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.